Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining us today, we have Vincent Van Antwerp. Hey, Vincent, are you there? Hey, aloha, Amanda. Hey, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. I'm wondering if we can have you begin by giving uh, an introduction of yourself for our listeners. Absolutely. It would be my pleasure, and thank you for having me. Um, As you said, my name is Vincent Van Antwerp. I'm a BCBA. I've been working in the field of autism services for over 10 years now. Um, I specialize in uh, crisis management, and I've been providing crisis management training for about seven of those years, uh, training individuals how to deal with um, severe physical aggression, self-injury, and uh, other problem behaviors. I'm currently working on my PhD in behavior analysis at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Um, My dissertation focuses on the role of feedback and goal setting and performance improvement. I'm currently unemployed as a result of the the COVID crisis, so I'm spending most of my time working on my dissertation, reading up, starting my new business. You mentioned your dissertation. It's like, what a better thing to do than start a business while working on that during a pandemic? Vincent, what are you thinking? <laughs> actually, actually, it's really been a uh, a blessing in disguise, I guess, because it's afforded me a lot more time uh, to work on that. Speaking of the pandemic, just a personal question. You know, what is it like? And you're in California in the area that you're in. Um, do you mind? Just like, what are your current um, situation? Well, out in California, I mean, it's it's gotten really hot. And it's been months, and I think that a lot of people are having trouble staying in. And when they are going out, social distancing, mask wearing, and all that stuff is is tough because I think people are frustrated by, you know, the lack of the routine. And it's really taken a lot of courage for people to self-sacrifice uh, going out and doing the things that they want to do, but I'm seeing a lot of people do that. Thankfully, I have an amazing fiance who is an amazing cook, and so staying at home and not eating out has been very easy, at least for me. As far as the pandemic, working from home has been a transition, but it has been been good in that it's offered me time to reevaluate my priorities and put time towards things that I always wanted to do that I didn't have time to do. So I guess for me it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. And while I'm counting my blessings, thankfully I haven't had any of my you know immediate circle who've been diagnosed with COVID. Um, I had a cousin who did die of it. And so I recognize that for a lot of people, I mean, this is a really scary situation. But I have done really good about, you know, making sure that I wear a mask and take, you know, appropriate precautions and people around me have done the same. So I think that while it's a really scary situation and I think it's important that we continue to take it seriously, I think that those things, social distancing, wearing a mask, you know, trying to refrain from going out unless we really need to, um, has really made a big 
you know, a big impact for me. I, I feel like I'm doing what my part and I feel like I'm being safe. I'm happy to hear that, you know, you're finding those highlights. I think that's definitely in many ways the best that we can all do. Well, a lot of what you and I were talking about recently has to do with the situations that come from the pandemic and COVID, which is really propelled a lot of people within our profession and other professions as well into being in a remote platform or trying to navigate the world that is telehealth, telemedicine, telepractice. Can you tell us a little bit about like what your experience has been with that and kind of what you're seeing? When telemedicine, telehealth started becoming uh, more popular and more people were using it, I was immediately interested in it and looking into how it could be used. Um, unfortunately, most of my clients at the time were very aggressive and we hadn't yet figured out how to bring telemedicine to work with really severe cases where people are uh, hurting staff and caregivers physically and nobody was in a place where they wanted to consent to receive help uh, remotely. They really insisted that somebody actually be there. And so when the pandemic started, I thought it was a, an, a very unfortunate situation, but also a great opportunity for people to really use telehealth more effectively. Um, and I mean that specifically that before telehealth was kind of an option. And now, as a result of the pandemic and health concerns, telehealth has become the primary. And so now it has forced us to really lean on technology in a way that we haven't before. And as scary as the pandemic is, I believe that telehealth, telepractice offers us so many opportunities uh, that we wouldn't otherwise be able to have. Yeah, I think sometimes when we see problems, it can be hard but possible to shift those into opportunities. And so what I've seen and heard and have reported to me nationally is in places where people had never, ever done anything remotely, because if given the choice to do in person, that would be the preference or the preferred modality for many individuals for many reasons. But we have had to, in many times, remove that as a choice, right? It's not an option. So if it's not an option, how do we navigate the online platform in a way that's going to maximize effective instruction, right? Absolutely. Um, you mentioned some, you know, difficulties such as, like, uh, with certain behavioral um, topographies or, you know, aggression, right? Um, what are some other barriers that you've seen that parents or providers are reporting to you that they have to navigate around when trying to provide instruction via remote options? I think probably one of the most salient ones is the use of technology itself. Um, when I was early into providing telehealth, we were using our personal cell phones to
um, that's something, and just knowing how to use different platforms is, is a challenge for uh, people who aren't familiar, and that makes sense. Um, so what do you see as, as um, some of those solutions, maybe? Um, great question. Um, well, I agree that during this pandemic, we've encountered a lot of uh, challenges just as a result of that. And then you should have the families shoulder the responsibility of, you know, providing Wi-Fi or in some cases providing their own cell phones or iPads or things like that in order for their, you know, child or adult to receive services, I mean, makes a bad situation even worse. So I think that one of the big solutions is for companies to look into uh, providing technology to staff. Uh, whether it be cell phones or tablets or computers or all of the above, so that that way services can be delivered effectively and seamlessly across clients, and it won't depend on the family's ability or the staff's ability to have this kind of technology, um, whether services can be provided organically and seamlessly. Right. I think just, you know, when we think about resources, it's, it's a lot to expect that employees or individuals coming in are going to have all of those resources or that there's going to be access to these, you know, services. I, you know, some of the other things that we've seen have been difficulties with, with funding, with reimbursement, because how are we measuring effect? And I think you mentioned something a moment ago um, that we're asking the families to be implementers in a lot of ways, right? So they're also there facilitating and it's a lot of what they're doing. I imagine technology that's the most useful are things where we can tap into learners not needing as much dependence on on everybody in their environment. Do you have experiences with that? I know that you aren't necessarily working, but I know that you have a, a lot of information of what's happening through other people. What are your thoughts? Um, absolutely. I think that in a time where a lot of parents are also working from home and they're trying to juggle completing their own jobs as well as, you know, facilitating in many ways their child's therapy as well, that can be an impossible task for a lot of parents. Um, so I think that on one hand, it's really great that parents are being more involved than they ever were in, in their child's therapy because essentially they have to be. But I think that this creates the opportunity for them to get even more fluent at behavioral procedures and interacting with them so that that way when we are not there, which at this point we're not at all, that the parents will better be able to implement the procedures. And I think it's resulted in a much sharper learning curve for many parents who are implementing that. Um, and then as far as the providers are concerned, it raises the, the bar for us to evaluate who is appropriate for telehealth and to even look at ways that we can take people who otherwise wouldn't be eligible for telehealth and bring them to a place where they can also use telehealth. Um, one of the clients that I was talking with this week, one of their primary concerns was that if an individual can't attend to a screen, then they weren't eligible for telehealth. But as behavior analysts, teaching somebody to attend to a screen is a behavior that we are more than suited to teach. And as many 
children with with autism tend to be very interested in videos and other such visual media it's it's definitely you know kind of a two birds with one stone where we can use that readily available reinforcer to create the occasion for social engagement as well i mean think of it this way like if let's say you're on a telehealth call with maybe a small child who has trouble you know, attending to the screen, like let's say you are on a, like a screen share platform and you play like a couple seconds of their favorite video and then you pause it and then your face is there and then you, you know, offer an instruction or you, you know, try a social greeting and then as soon as they make an approximated response, then you go back to, you know, their favorite program. It really allows us to capitalize on the powerful reinforcing value and speed of technology in order to uh, take our intervention kind of to an, another level. I think when we're talking about instruction and you're talking about the speed, it's the efficiency, and then how do we get fluent and comfortable with new technology? Now, you mentioned that you are also working on a business and your dissertation and, <laughs> um, you know, Everything in between, surviving a pandemic, I think, is enough for anybody. Well, what is your business, or what is it that you're seeking to do with that? You want to tell us a little bit more about that? I would love to. Um, well, first off, my business is called Smart Tools Consulting. Uh, I've been interested in science and technology for a long time. And as someone who works in the clinical field, I really see a great opportunity for those two things to come together for the betterment of the field. Um, my interest in technology has left me, you know, for many hours reading and researching on technology. Um, growing up, my dad worked as an engineer in the aerospace industry doing mechanical work, so I learned a lot about mechanics there. But my interest in technology, it's not so much from a mechanical or IT perspective, but in the application to human care which is kind of how I got into this industry to begin with. If you've ever seen that movie Avatar uh, with the blue aliens in space, uh, the main character gets a second chance to walk again through use of his Avatar body. And that really changes his life. And that inspired me to look at how ways we can use technology to change service provision. So after I was laid off, I was, in between working on my dissertation, I was listening to a webinar that Ellie, as all of you may know as Dr. Kazemi, gave on supervision and telehealth. A few weeks after, one of the attendees, uh, a provider, reached out to her and asked her about webcam recommendations. Uh, that would be compatible with other systems that they were using. Um, and since it was technology and, you know, right up my alley, I was excited. So I volunteered to help her look into that problem and try to find solutions that would fit this provider's needs. Um, being ambitious, I thought, oh, you know, this is going to take me about 20 minutes. Um, it did not. Uh, hours later, I realized that there was a lot of specific information that I needed um, about the technology that they had, um, the skills of the clinicians, and really how they plan to use it specifically. And that would then take hours to find, you know, what the right tech would be and then to find and create instructions on how to use it effectively. And 
that process happened a few more times, and it occurred to me that this was that there was a huge need for this service. As a clinician, when I was dealing with that, you know, I had problems like that. I had to pretty much kind of figure it out myself, or at best, I was sent to you know the IT department to try to help me with any tech issues. But as IT people, they really had no idea what I needed as a clinician. So. I have a unique experience as a clinician, you know, specializing in crisis management that I really, that I know what clinicians need in the most severe situations, and I know what they need in technology, which is to say it needs to be a help rather than a hindrance. Because when you're dealing with a lot of problem behavior, and really when you're trying to make an organic connection, you don't want anything in the way something else you have to attend to, something else that's going to take your attention. Um, and in that way, I really believe that telehealth, telepractice is here to stay. And so I wanted to create a company that would help people who also recognize um, the future of our industry, which will be with telehealth and telepractice, and help them advance their service delivery through the application of technology. You know, I think it depends on where people are currently living and what realm of the pandemic that they're in. And in many places, there were in-person services because it was possible, it was safe, or in some cases, because there wasn't funding. In other places, though, I think like Kentucky, we've seen where telehealth wasn't an option, became an option, and now is going to be a permanent option. So I agree with you that depending on where people are at or where their state or locale is with the pandemic is going to be some part of our future that that sort of became emphasized during this time, right? It existed here in Hawaii. We fought a couple years ago to pass um, a, a law to make telehealth something that would be reimbursable. And we have multiple islands. We have very limited resources. So some places, you know, we, we had that need, but we didn't have it approved for the majority of services that we now have authorization for. So, yes, I think we are going to see this continue to be, and not just within behavior analysis. So when you're talking about these tools, and I appreciate the benefit of having the knowledge of a clinician and the expertise with technology, have you thought about or considered what sort of benefit you could offer other professionals who are in similar situations, speech and language pathologists, psychologists, occupational therapists, any experience or thoughts with that? Honestly, I hadn't gotten to that yet, but I think that that's a great question, and I think that that shows the flexibility um, of technology and how it can be applied across different industries. Um, I think that, you know, we see the medical field has already really jumped on telepractice, and there's companies that create carts that basically have everything a doctor needs to do an exam, or in some cases even more so, that can be wheeled into a room where they can then direct the patient to operate most of the technology by itself. And I think if we can do that, then we can absolutely bring that same type of, you know, telepractice, telemedicine to bear with speech and language pathology and things like that um, to help them do their work remotely so that that way they can increase their patient's access to care. Because, I mean, if you're a speech and language pathologist, you can serve the clients that you can get to. But think of how many more people you can help when you can access them remotely. 
terms? Is there a certain sort of technology you're seeing people default to, or is it really much more, like you were saying, individualized on what works with already their existing systems? I think that a lot of platform providers are trying to create products that are generally applicable, but from from where I stand and what I'm trying to provide, it's really individualized based on the consumer. Much that we would do an assessment with an individual who's receiving services, I do a needs assessment with a company that I'm providing consult and uh, services to so that that way I can make individualized recommendations that will best fit uh, their current infrastructure and any technology that they may have or helping them to totally upgrade to new technology. Can you, without giving away any of your trade secrets, give us some um, general ideas of the things or the information or questions you might ask or that a potential client might need to have if they were to reach out and say, hey, here's some support we might need? What, what would they need to already know or what are the main things you might be looking at? Um, I would try to get a sense of how many employees, how many clients they're serving, uh, what technology they're currently using, and what the benefits they currently see are, and ask them you know, what their goals are, where do they see themselves going, and what are the current barriers that are technology-related or not that are stopping them from being able to get there. So, yeah, very much like an assessment we would with a challenging behavior or problem behavior with a client who came to us, you know, what's working, what's not working, what have you tried, what are you currently doing, and what are your goals, what's socially significant and value, you know, valid to, to them, to that individual or that organization, which makes sense, right? The science is the same. And that kind of leads me to my next question, which is how do you view your history and experience and understanding of behavior analysis as beneficial to this, this type of blending between behavior analysis and technology. And I know you mentioned being a clinician and having that experience, that insight, sure, but is there anything about the principles of behavior analysis like the assessment components that you see as very applicable and generalizable to this organizational situation? Um, of course. I think that my background in behavior analysis helps me to better understand the concerns of the agencies that I work with or individuals and help them to incorporate new technology and new elements in a way that is easiest and most efficient. Because let's be honest, when you have to change your routine or the way you're used to doing things, it can be really hard. And I think one of the best people to change your routine is, of course, a behavior analyst, right? We know how to fade stimuli in appropriately while providing, you know, the necessary amount of reinforcement. So really just making the transition as smooth and as organic as possible. Makes perfect sense. Like, how can we be efficient? How can we be, I think, prescriptive, right? Like, so when you do design that plan or the training, you're probably being very systematic and technological, all the things we know, but we're not necessarily applying it in the same ways that you've described, at least not maybe the majority of us. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's one of the biggest things that this pandemic has kind of offered us is that it's changed our need and has allowed us to kind of jump ahead where we would be otherwise. I mean, if it weren't for this, we would probably still be providing services the same way that, you know, in person that we always have. 
but now this has allowed us to see that there are other options. And smart and forward-thinking people are saying, look, you know, this is going to be, you know, the future. We can serve not just the individuals in our immediate driving distance, but all over the world. And so many people who weren't able to receive services or even quality services are now open as clients um, to companies who, you know, are able to do, uh, are able to use telemedicine to bridge that gap. Absolutely. I think you also mentioned the, I want to call it the benefit, but the curse of time. (laughs) We have a lot of time uh, to lament, to uh, avoid certain things. Sometimes dissertations are really, really great projects to avoid. That's (laughs) how we got behaviorbabe.com, if you don't know that story. Um, (laughs) So I think, you know, you do have that time, but then I sometimes find myself wondering, like, well, what have I done with this time? Um, so as you mentioned, there's a lot of research, there's a lot of digging, there's a lot of connecting, there's a lot of new information to sift through. Do you have any particular resources, research, recommendations, where you would point people to? And tell us about your website. I'm sorry, we haven't done that yet. Tell, tell us your website. Okay. Um, my website is www.smarttoolsconsult.com, where you'll find breakdown of the services I provide about me. And in relation to what you were saying, I have a resource page with different links to practice guidelines, videos and webinars, uh, relevant websites, and references, um, all of which is a work in progress. I'm always looking for new uh, sources and, you know, relevant research to add to there for anyone who's interested. Oh, I'm sure many people are. When we were all thrust kind of together as one huge profession and society into an online world, as you mentioned, it it got a lot of creative thinkers and situations going, but the strange and unique thing, it was everybody all at once, right? So it's literally everybody having in some ways a shared experience. And so, yeah, resources, references, publications, they're coming out daily. It's time to conduct the research, you know, extend on what already exists. And so that's excellent. Do you have a way in which people can contact you if they want to get that information to you? What would what would be the best way? Absolutely. There is a contact us link on just about every page of my website. Or you can email me at vincent.vanantwerp at smarttoolsconsult.com. All right. Well, Vincent, I want to thank you so much for joining today. Well, I think one of the best things, if there's anything to be said of a best thing of this pandemic, is how it brings us together. People are really coming together, looking for creative solutions, and I think it's really bringing, you know, that us attitude together where people are banding together and helping one another more than before. And that's really got me inspired to continue my work and try to help people who are trying to help others. I am very much appreciative of having you in the network of uh, analysts and experts that we can collaborate and call on. So, Vincent, I want to thank you for joining me today. And I also would like to um, invite you to help me maybe elaborate. I do have a telehealth telepractice page, but if there are any resources that I could update. I'd love to have, you know, you, uh, your set of eyes on it, if you wouldn't mind. Great. I would love to look at it. For anyone who's interested in learning about Vincent, we have those websites and his contact information, which I'll post as well. And I'll post a link to that at www.behaviorbabe.com. 